Amen. Amen. Good to see you. You all look great this morning. You must have got a good night's rest last night or something. First Timothy chapter four, while you're turning there, I want to welcome Dave Hosea back. David, it's good to have you back from Afghanistan. Also, just a reminder, our worship team, a great group of people, but always looking to open it up to others who are coming to our church. And so you'll notice on the bulletin, there's the tear off. If you'd like to maybe see about being part of our worship team, just fill that out and uh, get that to Nicole or give that to, to somebody or even just drop it in the offering plate. Also, you'll notice on the other side is a visitor uh, record. We'd love to have a record if you're visiting with us here at the Oasis as well. And then just a couple more. Tuesday night, we end our great study of the book of 2 Corinthians. We encourage you to come out. And here's an extra incentive to come out this Tuesday from 6.30 to 7. We are having an ice cream social. So you can build your own Sunday and just, yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. So Tuesday night, this Tuesday over in the cafeteria across the way, we've been having great attendance on Tuesday night. And speaking about Tuesday night, I know many of you don't even know about this, but on Tuesday night, if you're looking for, say, a Bible study where you can get a little bit deeper into what we're studying on Tuesday night, uh, there is a discussion group that meets from 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock in the cafeteria before we get started at 7. And I realize for many of you, 6 o'clock is impossible for you to get there by then. But some of you, you could be there at 6 o'clock. You could be a part of that group. And uh, what they do is take, again, what I'm teaching on Tuesday and actually add an extra layer to it. So if you'd like to be a part of that refuel discussion group on Tuesday night, just to see Allison Hadley about that, or if you know of somebody else who's involved with that group, I know they would love to add some people to that group. And we're getting ready to start a new series on Tuesday night, right after Labor Day, the Tuesday right after Labor Day in the Gospel of John. And it's going to be a great, great study. So we invite you to that. I'm really excited about this passage of scripture I want to share with you, although I guess I get pretty much excited about every passage of scripture. But this one especially just has hit me. It's 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 11. And before we dive right into this particular part of of the passage, let's sort of get a running start and and go back a couple weeks and figure out where we are in in case some of you, you know, haven't been here or haven't been following us up to this point. Back at the end of chapter 3, Paul's writing this letter to this young pastor, Timothy, and he says, Timothy, one of your responsibilities as a pastor is to teach people how to conduct themselves in the household of God. In other words, basically, teach them what it means to be part of the family of God, and especially in a local church. What does it mean to be part of the body of Christ in a local church expression? What's that mean? What are my responsibilities being part of of the church. And so in chapter four, one of the things that Paul says is this. He says, Timothy, 
You've got to teach your people the word of God and they've got to learn through their spiritual growth also how to carefully examine the word of God for themselves and sort of test everything that they hear out there that supposedly is coming from you to see whether it really is or not. Because he says, in the latter days, there are going to be people inside the church who are going to depart the faith. They're going to give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, he says. So you need to make your people aware of this and warn them of this. So it's our responsibility as individual Christians to make sure that we are theologically correct. And the reason we need to make sure that we are theologically correct is because if we're not, If we're embracing error at any point of our Christian life, not only are we going to be negatively affected, but we're going to negatively affect our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul's already said, we need to understand we're responsible for each other. And and, and that's why we need to step up to the plate and rise to the occasion and become the Christians God wants us to be, because it's not just about us. We are always part of something bigger than ourselves, and we need to be committed to one another and to be responsible for each other. We are our brother's keeper, as God told Cain back in the book of Genesis. Then last week, we saw the importance of staying spiritually fit and, and staying in a spiritually healthy condition. He talked there about, about our spiritual conditioning and training It's the Greek word gymnazo, where we get our word gymnasium from. And he says, Christians need to be careful that they don't get flabby spiritually, that they don't get out of shape, that they don't allow themselves to get to a spiritually sick or unhealthy condition. Because again, Paul says, that condition is not only going to negatively affect us, but it's going to affect other believers around us. And we need to take the responsibility uh, to be responsible for our own spiritual health and well-being because we're responsible for each other. And we want to be the type of Christian that when we get around each other and when God brings us into fellowship with other Christians, that we can be a positive encouragement and a positive example of what a Christian is all about. And so that means we need to stay spiritually fit and healthy and take personal responsibility for that. He talked about last week how we need to nourish ourselves, how we need to train ourselves. So we need to take responsibility for that. And that motivation needs to come from within. Again, even though it's important that we have outside encouragement and that we encourage each other as believers in Christ, and that's all biblical when it comes right down to it, the only thing, though, that's going to sustain us over the long haul on that journey is if that's truly what we believe inside of us and we're internally motivated. So that brings us to today's part, where, again, Paul is saying to all of us as Christians and to Timothy, and what he wants to pass along to them is, look, You need to tell your people that one of the reasons why God calls us into fellowship with each other is because he wants our lives to inspire, to impact, and to ignite other Christians. That's the whole reason why he brings us together. That's why it's not biblical to say, I can worship God on my own, and I can worship Jesus by myself, and I don't need to be part of a local church, and I don't need to connect with other Christians, and I don't need to have fellowship with other Christians. That simply is not biblical. One of the main reasons why God created the church and wants it to be locally expressed is so we can have relationships with each other, so we can get connected to each other, so that we can impact each other, so that we can ignite each other, so that we can inspire each other, you see. 
And so that's why Paul says these words. Notice, follow along with me. 1 Timothy 4, verse 11. Command and teach these things, Timothy. Let no one look down on you because you're young, but set an example to the believers in your speech, conduct, love, faithfulness, and purity. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, and do not neglect the spiritual gift you have, that you have given to you and confirmed by prophetic words when the elders laid hands on you. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that everyone will see your progress. Be conscientious about how you live and what you teach. Persevere in this because by doing so, you will save both yourself and those who listen to you. In this passage of scripture, Paul's basically trying to tell Timothy and teach him. Timothy, as the pastor, you need to be in a place where you are continually encouraging, inspiring, igniting, and impacting positively those around you. And if you're going in that direction, hopefully others will follow. And Paul gives, in a sense, a prescription for how we can be a Christian who impacts, ignites, and inspires other Christians. He tells us how to do that here by using Timothy as his example. The first thing I want you to see then back in verse 12 is this. We need to learn to carry ourselves with confidence in the Lord. To carry ourselves with confidence in the Lord. Not to become prideful, not to become haughty, not to become cocky. That certainly would be detrimental. But we do need to carry ourselves with confidence in the Lord. In Timothy's case, specifically here, he was a very young pastor. And so Paul says, Timothy, you need to be careful how you carry yourself. You can't let others look down on you. Literally think little or nothing of you. Well, how do we do that? Well, one of the main ways we do that is by how we carry ourselves. See, if we go through life, with very little confidence in our walk with God, and we don't think very much or little of ourselves, then how can we expect other people to think very much or little of us either? If, if we think we're nothing, if we think we're a nobody, believe it or not, even if you never say that to somebody, in other words, if you never go up to somebody and go, I'm a nobody, you'll still communicate that. You communicate that in the way you carry yourself through life. And Paul is saying, let no one in the body of Christ, I don't care how young you are, I know that most of the people in your church, Timothy, are older than you, but God called you to this. And God is equipping you for this. And you need to carry yourself and not allow people in your church to think little or nothing of you. Because this is of Christ. And you need to carry yourself with the confidence that Christ brings. Even though you're young. You know, one of the greatest biblical examples of that is David, the little shepherd boy, when he slew Goliath. You know the story. David was probably around 16 years old. Lindsay, how old are you? 16. All right. 16 years old, David was when he trotted out on the battlefield to slay Goliath. And remember, all the soldiers and King Saul and all that were much older than David. But they weren't willing to step out and go out and challenge the giant Goliath. Only the 16-year-old David was willing to do that. And God, through those kind of stories, the little boy that gave Jesus his lunch, tells us that, that spiritual growth and maturity and spiritual impact and spiritual inspiration 
and spiritual you know, ignition of others isn't based on our physical age. It's based on our walk with God. And if someone's on fire for God, I don't care whether they're 10 or they're 100. They are able to be used by God to ignite, inspire, and impact other Christians. And it doesn't matter what our age is. And so Paul says to Timothy, let no one look down on you. You can be an example. In fact, the words be an example here in the Greek mean to arise, Timothy. Become who God created you to be. God destined you for greatness, Timothy. Now be great. And that message is for everyone here today. God says, here's the plan I have. Oh yeah, I've destined you for greatness throughout eternity. Yeah, but I'm, I've destined you for greatness right here and now. You can be an example to believers. You can arise and become a positive, lasting impression. Worthy of imitation of other believers. If we just lay hold of Christ every day. Do you realize the power that you have as a Christian? You can be, every one of you, a positive, lasting impression on other believers. And of course, he gives him here speech, conduct. Basically, he's saying in in every area of life, you can be an example. Rise up, Timothy. Be an example. And I would just encourage the rest of us today. Rise up and be who God wants you to be. And one of the greatest responsibilities we have as believers is to be an example to other believers. And we get focused on so many other things that we forget that one of the greatest privileges and responsibilities we have as being part of the body of Christ is to set an example for others at all times. And we need to rise up and do that. By the way, very interesting word here, the word example too. When it's talking about making an impression on something, it's not talking about this. We could use the example of a heavy piece of furniture that if you sit it down, say, on a soft carpet, and obviously then take that piece of furniture up, there's an impression left simply because the piece of furniture was much heavier than the carpet, and so it made an impression just simply by its weight. This word is not talking about making an impression based on that. It's making an impression over time through repetition. That's what it's talking about. So it's not a once and for all flash like, oh, wow, you know, what an impression it was made. And and not that we can't make an impression on others in a positive, maybe lasting way once. But biblically speaking, in the church, the reason why God says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but be consistent in coming to church and coming together and being together is because that positive example is usually done through repetition over and over and over and over again. It's not some big thing. It's the little things that we do over and over and over again. And Jesus modeled this example. When he called his own disciples, when he called his own disciples, the Bible says he called these men to be with him for three years. And the impact of Jesus wasn't just like Jesus saying to Peter, James and John, for instance, I'm Jesus, I'm God. Here's the impression I want to make and then left. No, because again, God understands. Is that really going to last? No, it it takes time to solidify something in our life. 
And so Jesus wanted these 12 men to walk with him every day, to see him interact, to see him in formal and informal situations, to see him by himself, to see him with great crowds, to see him in each and every situation. That's what Jesus wanted because Jesus wanted through repetition continually to be setting an example to his followers so that that in turn would be an example for us of how you and I impact others. That it's not just through the one and done way of doing it. It's through coming together together over and over again and just letting that little bit just sort of make an impression over time. And eventually, it makes an impression on the rest of us as well. Then he goes on in verse 13 to say, Until I come, give attention to attention to the public reading of scripture to exhortation to teaching basically saying to timothy you want to continue to be an example and inspire and ignite and impact other christians and other believers then saturate yourself and your congregation with the word of god give attention to public reading of scripture it's exactly what we do here then a little bit out of order He says, teach them the word of God. That means explain to them. Give them understanding of what the scripture means. And then the word exhortation means encourage them to apply it, to put it into practice. It's not just about learning about it. It's literally about living it. And so that's why Paul says, give attention to the public reading of scripture. Say it out loud. Talk talk about it. Then teach it, explain it, expound it, help them to understand it, and then exhort them to put it into practice every day in their life. But it's all about the Word of God. And again, you and I, apart from the Word of God in our life, we are not going to be able to inspire, ignite, and impact other believers and set an example for them as we could or as we should. Then, verse 14, do not neglect the spiritual gift. You have. The word neglect means to be careless of. Now, certainly this is about Timothy, but again, the principle can apply to all of us. One of the ways God chose to allow us to impact and ignite and inspire other believers is by using our spiritual gifts. And so that means That first of all, Christians need to know what their spiritual gift or gifts are. And the Bible clearly teaches that every true born-again believer, everyone who's ever accepted Jesus Christ by faith and has the Holy Spirit living within them, has at least one spiritual gift. And my friends, again, let's not forget what a spiritual gift is. It is a supernatural, extraordinary endowment entrusted to us by God himself. It's not just, people get mixed up. They they think that spiritual gifts are natural talents. No. I mean, for instance, like, it's great that these folks have great singing voices. But being able to sing is not a spiritual gift. Now, they can use their spiritual gift through their singing. See? But don't... Don't uh, confuse natural abilities or talents with spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts is something that God gave us when we were saved. And it's supernatural. It's extraordinary. It's not something that you and I can just cook up on our own. 
And God gave us those gifts so that we could use them in the body of Christ to inspire, ignite, and impact other believers in a spiritual way. And so if you don't know what your gift is, then you're neglecting it. And God can't use you the way he wants to. Because you're not, you, you might not even know what your gift is and be using it in the body of Christ. And that means we're missing out, see? That's again why I tell Christians, it's not biblical for you to stay home and stay away from church and, and just worship God on your own. Because how can you exercise your spiritual gift and impact other believers if you're never around other believers? How can you be an example to other believers if you're never around them on a consistent basis? See? We want to help you with that, by the way. We put this out every once in a while. And so next week, for a couple weeks, we'll put it out again. If some of you want to discover or find out what your spiritual gift is, we have material that we will put at the info table starting next Sunday for a couple weeks. Or you can just ask us and we'll, you know, we'll make sure that you get it. But it's, it'd be a shame for you to go any longer in your Christian life and not know what your spiritual gift or gifts are because God wants you to use them in the body of Christ so that you can inspire, impact, and encourage other Christians. Do not neglect the spiritual gift that is given to you. Confirm. And that simply means even in Timothy's case, listen, other Christians will be able to affirm or confirm what your spiritual gifts are. For instance, if if you're a Christian and you say, I know God has given me the the spiritual gift of teaching, and you get up to teach and everybody's like, oh my golly, I couldn't wait for that to be over. Maybe you don't have the spiritual gift of teaching, see? So, So one of the ways we discover, one of the ways we discover what our gifts are is truly to have at least enough people close to you you can say, I, I think I have this gift. Do you see this gift in me? Do I exercise this gift? Whatever. Because they will and can be used by God to confirm or affirm the gift or gifts that we have. And then he just goes on to tell Timothy. And Timothy, you know the spiritual leadership that sort of ordained you and placed you into the ministry. Pledge their help and support in supporting you with this gift that you've been given. And can I say, knowing the hearts of our leaders here at the Oasis, we will do the same. We pledge to you our help and support. We will help you find out what your gift is. We will help you try to figure out where in this body you can exercise that gift so that you can start to see that gift grow and develop because our spiritual gift is like a muscle. And if you don't use your spiritual gift, it will atrophy. It will literally shrink. The only way you and I can grow our spiritual gift is to use it. And the more we use it, the stronger it gets. You see? So that's why he's saying, don't neglect it. In fact, other places, Paul told Timothy and others, stir up the gift of God you have in you. Get it going. Use it. Because your brothers and sisters in Christ will benefit from you using your gift. See, the way God designed the body of Christ is when we come together, we mutually help each other and encourage each other and inspire each other through the exercise of our supernatural, extraordinary gifts that have been entrusted to us. Let me say this. One of the things we're going to be held accountable for one day as a Christian 
is what did we do with our gift? Because it is a trust. It's a stewardship. God gave us this gift and entrusted us with this. And he's going to say, what did you do with it? What did you do with it? And then he goes on to say in verse 15, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them. These words mean to care greatly for, to put your all into it. See, if we really want to reach our potential for Christ, if we want to see the greatness that God has for us on this earth and to truly see who God created us to be, then we can't go with this Christian life thing and spiritual growth thing half-heartedly. We have got to be absorbed into it. We've got to give our all to it instead of just stick our toe in. You see, and too many Christians today, you know, they they want God to use them. They want God to use their life and have purpose and have meaning and find fulfillment and find satisfaction. But they don't want commitment. They don't want to be committed or devoted and put their all into it. And Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you will never be a pastor that inspires, ignites, or impacts other believers if you're not willing to put your all into this. And you need to teach your people that if they're ever going to be the inspiration and ignition and impact on other believers that God wants them to be and calls them to be, then they need to have the same attitude. Then he says, be absorbed in them so that everyone will see your progress. The word means advancement, moving forward. And notice, he doesn't say perfection. Hallelujah. Because <laughs> it, it's on this side of glory, on this side of heaven, it will never be about perfection. God understands, will never be perfect. But what he does expect from every believer is progress. He expects all of us to be moving forward and advancing in our walk with him. And notice, Paul says, you won't have to toot your own spiritual horn and go around saying, look at me, this wonderful Christian. He says, you just keep your mouth shut and do what God's called you to do. Others will see your progress. It will be so evident in your life that you are spiritually growing. You won't need to say a thing. They'll catch it. They'll catch it from you. And the same thing is true for all of us. See, whether we like it or not, we all can usually tell when another Christian is, is growing in the Lord and, and God is bringing about changes in their life and things are different and they're just navigating life differently. We can tell in our own life and we can usually tell in other Christians' lives. And all God is saying is, I expect progress from my children. I expect you to be more like Jesus Christ today than you were yesterday. More like Jesus this month than last month. More like Jesus this year than last year. So that another year doesn't go by and we go, well, I didn't really make a lot of advancement in my Christian walk or life. Another year of not really getting into the word. Another year of sort of neglecting my spiritual gift and not using it. Another year of even thinking very little of myself and carrying myself with a lack of confidence and and purpose so that 
other Christians don't think much of me either because I don't think very much of myself. See, folks, that can all change. Because God wants every one of you, just as he did Timothy and the people in Timothy's church, to realize the greatness that he has planned for us. Then in verse 16, he says, be conscientious about how you live and what you teach. The word conscientious there just means to be aware. Self-awareness. Where am I spiritually? Do we even really know where we are spiritually? And not only that, but... This word also speaks about the fact of as Christians, especially as children of God, we cannot continually live our lives letting life come at us and then reacting at what comes at us. There's got to come moments in our life where we act rather than continually react. And we live in a world today, folks, not just amongst People who don't know God, but we live in a world today, even amongst the church, even amongst Christians, even amongst Christian leaders, where all they know to do is whatever comes at them, they react to it and respond to it. And there's never anything deliberate or intentional in their actions to sort of make a way. No, it's always, I'm just going to deal with whatever life comes and hope that I can somehow navigate it. And that's not the way God wants his children to live. I mean, obviously, there's going to be times where the Bible says we fall into a trial. We we don't see something coming and we don't have it all figured out all the time. We get that. And where we have to respond and react to what life brings that we didn't foresee. But too often, we make that the norm of how we navigate through life as children of the king. And we just sort of just very passively just sit back and just say, well, I'm just going to sort of just let life come to me and whatever happens, happens. And God says, my child, you are one of my children, but with the blood of Jesus Christ, endowed with supernatural spiritual gifts. You've got the word of God. You've got God himself, the spirit of God living in you. It's time to stand up, rise up, act, be deliberate, be intentional and make something happen in your life. Sorry. Then notice, he says, persevere in this. Oh my. It means to stick with it, to stay at it, to stay with it, to not quit. Again, so many Christians are like shooting stars. Man, they can, they can get off on something and, and burn bright for a short amount of time. But to sustain it over the long haul? No. And Paul's saying to Timothy, from God's perspective, if we're going to be that example that is continually making an impression over the long haul, then there's got to be some supernatural endurance and perseverance that we allow God to build into our life. And that we're not just in this for the short term. We're in this for the long haul. Let me give you an example very practically and 
And this doesn't even rise to what Paul's talking about. But just to give you an example of how I see this play out even today, even as far as attendance at something amongst Christians. And you all know this to be true. You'll start a new study or a new Bible study. And you'll get a lot of people the first couple weeks. And if it's a 10 or 12 week study, as you go on, it just gets less and less, less. Because that's the way our culture is. We, we can get started on something, man, and, and we can get all excited about it and committed to it for a couple weeks. But put it in there for the long haul and stay committed over a, some couple months. You just don't see it today. And we need to say, God, help me to persevere. Help me to stick with it, to stay at it. Because that's the only way. You and I are ever going to see the potential God has inside of us. That's the only way we're ever going to see the great destiny that he has for us on earth. That's the only way we're going to start to see lives ignited and impressed and impacted around us is if we stick with it. And let me say, humanly speaking, there will be many times where you feel like giving up. You will. Because I'll just be honest, in three and a half years as a pastor of this church, there have been many times where I just felt like, I'm walking away. I mean, that's the way you feel someday. I'm done. And then God sort of gently and lovingly slapped me around. Get back up and get back in there. And the reason I share that with you is just because you can sit here today and go, you're right, Jeff, I'm going to stay... You're still going to have days where you get up and feel like quitting. And the enemy's going to want to make you quit. Because you're going to face all kinds of opposition and obstacles and all kinds of junk in your way. And you and I have to allow the Holy Spirit of God to build a spiritual tenacity in us that we're going to be like that dog that grabs a hold of something and we're not going to let go no matter what. And that's what Paul's saying to Timothy. Because Paul saw too many young pastors like Timothy who started out and they're no longer in the ministry. And I've seen too many Christians who, man, they were fired up for God for a time. But no longer. They haven't sustained that fire and commitment. And Paul ends this with these very important words. One of the main reasons why we need to persevere and never quit is because by doing this, you will save both yourself and those who listen to you. Paul here is not talking about salvation as far as coming to Christ and placing our faith in Christ. The words that he uses here is, you'll be in a good place, Timothy. You'll stay in a good place. You'll be spiritually fit, spiritually sound, if you will. And therefore, because you're in such a good place spiritually, then you'll be able to impact others in a positive way. And if they listen to you and follow your example, then they're going to be in a position where they stay in a spiritually fit, healthy condition. And they'll impact others in a spiritually, positively healthy way. And so Paul's saying, Timothy, that's why this is so important. Because Timothy... 
Your destiny is greatness. Your future is glorious. And you need to believe that and embrace that. You need to know, Timothy, that God wants to use your life to impact, inspire, and ignite other Christians around you. And folks, that message from Paul to Timothy here in 1 Timothy chapter 4 is the same message for every one of us in this room. Whether you believe it yet or not, or have embraced it, God has a destiny for you, and it's greatness. God has a future for you, and it is glorious. And we're not just talking about heaven. And God wants to use your life to ignite, inspire, and impact other believers. He wants you to accept his challenge today to rise up and begin to become who he created you to be. And to begin to make a positive, lasting impression worthy of imitation upon other believers. And he's told us how we do it. He's told us how we do it. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up, get in place. We're going to sing a song to wrap up this part of our service today. I hope you will be inspired today. I I hope you will leave here today skipping out that door. Just can't wait to see what God does with you and wants to do with you. Because that's the kind of God that we have. You are a special, unique creation of God. You have so much to give and add to the body of Christ. And you need to begin to be who God made you to be. So in this last song, as he has inspired us today, let's take that back and sing this song as a way to, in a sense, inspire others. And sing it out so that we can inspire others around us as well. And so that we sing it as a way of meaning it and saying, God, I got it. I got what you had for me today. And I'm not going to leave here the same as why I walked in. I'm going to leave here different. Folks, God is moving in our church. And God is moving through his word and through his spirit. And this church, we're moving. We're making progress. And I'm excited about the direction of where we are headed. I hope you'll come with me on this exciting journey. Let's stand and praise the Lord together.